morning scripture is uh, from James 4, starting in verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. We live in an uncertain world. Anything can happen. Let me just read you some headlines from one day this summer, July 20th. Nuclear secrets stolen from government lab. Pakistan militants step up bomb attacks. Israel at the ready to invade Gaza Strip. Daylight shooting at Walmart leaves one dead. U.S. British soldiers killed in Iraq. Lightning caused blazes stretch firefighting resources in the West. An earthquake jolts San Francisco Bay Area. All over the world, there's uncertainty. Things can happen in a moment that we didn't anticipate, that we could have never known were coming. Two days ago, Osama bin Laden issued a videotape threatening the U.S. again. You see, we're in a world that, if we step back and think about it, feels very uncertain, very unsafe. We don't know what's coming. We try to plan our lives, organize our lives, but... When even Walmart isn't safe, when you can have a traffic accident, someone can run a red light and suddenly your whole world's changed. I have friends, several, who have had someone come to them, their spouse, and say, I'm leaving you. How do you prepare for that? Many of you have lost jobs, been laid off. You might have a sudden onset of anxiety or depression. And health issue might strike you that you just simply weren't planning for. Like Kevin O'Neill, who just was diagnosed with cancer, as we prayed for him. You just can't prepare for that. All of this is a reminder that we live in an uncertain world. And especially since 9-11-2001, we feel vulnerable in this world. And the younger generation, the postmoderns, as they call them, as they've talked to them, they've realized, and we have a bunch of them here, glad you're here today, um, they have a certain skepticism about the world, a discouragement about the world and the uncertainty of it because they've grown up with the leftovers, the remnants of Hitler and Stalin and uh, Iraq and weapons of mass destruction that we never found and AIDS and fears of the future. The world is discouraging. You don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. You don't know what will happen with your retirement. You see, the world is a very uncertain place. A recent poll showed for the first time, at least that's what they said, it was the first time they'd shown a poll that said this generation, the older generation, thinks that their kids will be worse off than they are. See, every other generation has thought their kids would be better off, but no longer. So how do we find hope and security and peace in such an uncertain world in which we live? How do we find that? Is hope even possible? 
Is security even possible? Yes, absolutely it is. And I think James shows us how to find it. Not the way we normally look for it, but it's there. Hope and security can come. So this passage that Dave read for us, we want to dig in together now. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. So turn there if you haven't already. And it gives us some very practical insight into how we ought to live as believers in an uncertain world. He begins, though, in verse 13 by pointing out the way we normally try to find hope or security in an uncertain world. Verse 13, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. You see, our way, our normal human way to try to get security in an uncertain world is through control. If I can just plan out my life, organize it, and control the things that are happening to me, then, then I'll feel safe. Then I can feel hope. So we do our best to do that. What he's describing here are simple businessmen. And notice they're planning. These are good planners. We will, today or tomorrow, go to a certain city. We will do there for a year, literally. We'll, we know what we're going to do. We've got it all figured out for a year. We will conduct business. In other words, we'll go about making money and we will make a profit. You see, these are good business people. As the leadership books tell us, you need to make plans. You need to be good planners. You need to make five-year plans, ten-year plans. If you aim for nothing, you'll what? Hit it every time, right? We've all heard that. That's the way business functions. And you know what? That's okay. Planning's okay. That's, it's okay to plan. Many of you are businessmen and businesswomen. You understand that. It's part of how you do your job. As Professor Moo says in his commentary on James, he says, these are self-confident planners. They decide where they will go, when they will go, how long they will stay, and they are absolutely certain they will gain profit from their venture. These are true go-getters. The kind of people both out in the world and in the church that we look up to. They get things done. Okay? And it's okay to plan. But I think James uses them to be descriptive of all of us. These business people are an example for you and me as to how we tend to respond when the world feels out of control, when the world feels uncertain. What we tend to do is think, okay, if I can just plan and organize my life, then I can feel safe. When life gets crazy and uncertain, we feel vulnerable and we don't like that feeling of vulnerability. So we try to somehow organize, control, plan our lives to avoid feeling that vulnerable feeling. We just don't like feeling like the world is random out there and things are coming at us and we can't control them. So, when the world gets scary, we withdraw and try to control. Now, I see this in my own life. Um, when, when life feels out of control and I feel like I just can't get a grasp on everything, I have this tendency to try to find something I can control. It may be just cleaning the garage. 
But you know, there's something that feels really secure about being able to just take something and finish a project. And maybe you're that way too. I'll bet you are in some ways. When you feel out of control, if I can just control something, then I don't feel so lost and vulnerable in a world that feels out of control. But if we're honest, the truth is, our attempts to control life, in small ways and big ways, don't really work. They really only give us the illusion of control. The reality is they can't bring real hope or security. See, because ultimately life is a lot bigger than we are. And it's kind of like riding on an airplane. And yeah, you have the freedom, maybe, to walk up and down the aisles. But you're not in control where the plane's going. And that's the way life is too often. We're subject to the forces around us. We feel out of control. So how can we get hope and security when life is that way? If we can't control it, what do we do? Well, God's way is one of trust. Rather than control, it's trust. And James goes on to tell us some steps to getting some real security in an uncertain world. The first one is to admit you're helpless. Verse 14. Okay, he's speaking to these people who have said, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And we're going to make money, which gives us security, we think. And James says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Says, first of all, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. How can you plan out your life? How can you find security? How can you plan out a year ahead or whatever when you don't even know what might happen tomorrow? Kevin O'Neill didn't know what was going to happen. My daughter called at 11, after 11 last night saying, hey, the car broke down and she was stuck. You don't plan for those things. I think I'll have a car break down, you know, how about late at night? No, we don't plan for those. They happen to us. You see, we're responders to life. Two friends of mine in the body went in for some surgery. They thought they were going in for one thing, and then they found out they had severe heart problems and ended up having heart surgery instead. And they had to put the other surgeries on hold. You see, you just never know what's going to come at you. We can't control that. A woman I knew simply stepped into her bathtub to take a shower. She slipped and fell, hit her head and died. Again, life can be seem very normal and yet something can happen all of a sudden and everything changes. And it's a reminder to us that we're not in control. We can make little choices, but we can't control our lives. We are subject to other forces outside of us. And James says this, what is your life? He wants us to think about that. What really is your life? Is it something that you have control over? Not really. (laughs) We can't control what happens to us. We can't protect our life. We can do exercise and diet and yet get struck with cancer or something else that was completely out of our control. We can't fend off sickness or death. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. 
He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. His point is, our life is something outside of our hands. We, we don't have control of it. God does. He sets the limits of our life. When we're born, we, we don't have choice in that. And ultimately, when we die, it's in his hands. And James says, we are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This word is used for steam. I had a cup of tea first thing this morning, put the teapot on, and then when it's boiling, you can see the steam coming out. But you know you can see the steam, but then it's gone, it dissipates. Or like a mist in the morning, you can see a little bit of fog, light fog in the morning, and then the sun comes out and it disappears. And he says, do you realize that's how much control you have? Really? You're just a mist. We have no real substance to control our lives, to control our world. We are helpless and we need to admit it. We went on a trip this summer to Indonesia. You've heard about it, some of you. And Jeannie and I and two of our children, and uh, we took our carry-on bags, all the different things that We'd gathered, we, we had a lot of stuff, and we'd been through the security checkpoint, the x-ray machines in Boise and in L.A. and in Tokyo. And then we arrived in Singapore, which has some of the tightest security in the world, by the way. And we went through to get on the plane, and we were plenty early. We'd come real early through the checkpoint to actually get on the plane, through the gate. They had an x-ray machine there. And I'd already gone through, and I'm gathering my stuff, and suddenly I hear, what's this? And they're looking in Jeannie's bag. And as they're digging through, they pull out two live rounds of ammo. Not a good thing in Singapore. <laughs> well, or you can get caned for chewing gum. Literally, it's against the law. Well, you know, I thought, you know, I bet... Jeannie can handle this. The kids and I could just slip on the plane. and <laughs> We're going to be back through in a couple weeks. I could check on her then. <laughs> no, actually, you know, I stepped in and I said, let me see what those are. And, and Jeannie's going, I have no idea how those got there. And, of course, the police are going crazy. They're starting to gather around and they're calling in more people and we're over in the side and everybody else is going through the checkpoint. And, and you can imagine, you know, how they're looking at us. Terrorists on our flight. <laughs> well, finally, I said, what are they? And they, uh, they're 270, they said. These aren't them, by the way. They kept them, of course. And I thought, okay... We haven't used this particular bag for a couple of years. I went deer hunting two years ago. I used this bag. These must have gotten lost down underneath somewhere. 
And um, so I'm trying to explain this, you know, and that cross-culturally, language barrier, it's not communicating real well. And I'm thinking, um, I may be in Singapore for a while. I may be writing people at Cole and saying, please pray for me that they would let me out. <laughs> and they kept us there for a while and they kept talking and interrogating and they finally believed my story. It happened to be true that I go hunting sometimes and somehow they got left in there. I don't know what they thought I would do with a couple of live rounds anyway. Throw them at somebody, maybe, without a gun, I don't know. But finally they had me sign a paper. They filled out all this paperwork. Everybody's on the plane now. It's time for the plane to leave. They finally had me sign this paper that said, Warning, we have decided to be lenient this time with you. But if you ever commit this kind of crime again, we will not be so lenient next time. I'll sign it. <laughs> Just let me on the plane. So we got on the plane. Of course, we're the last ones on. Our seats are towards the back. <laughs> you can imagine, again, everybody looking at us. It was just a reminder that, you know what? We're not in control. I didn't know they were there. And, you know, it was an inadvertent fact that they were there, accident, and yet it could have changed the course of our lives. We just need to admit we're not in control. We're a vapor. Life happens to us. We have very little control in an uncertain world. But the second step is, first of all, again, admit you're not in control. But secondly, admit that God is in control. Really understand and grasp that God is in control. Verse 15. Instead, instead of saying, I can run my life, I can control this, I'll figure it out. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You see the attitude there? If it's the Lord's will, I might be alive tomorrow. But that's up to him. And everything I can possibly do is in his hands. The only reason I can do it is because he lets me. You and I are alive this moment only because God is letting us live. Only because he's very active in our very bodies, allowing our heart to pump. He's at work. He upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1 tells us. Everything functions in your body because he is allowing it to function. That's why you're able to take a breath. That's why you're able to hear what you're hearing. Hear me speak. Because God is active in causing your eardrum to vibrate and move the hammer and the stirrup and anvil and vibrate them and send neurons to your brain so you can understand it. All that is intimately cared for by God. And we could go on and on about that because everything about us shows we are in His hands. And we can only do what He allows us to do. That's what James is saying here. If the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He guides and directs our lives do you realize you can only sin because he's given you that ability and that freedom? <laughs> Everything you do is in his hands. Doesn't mean he causes it all, but he's involved in it all. 
It's a big theological concept. A word for it is sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely in control. He runs the universe. He has all power and is intimately involved in our lives. Jesus, again, words of Jesus, he says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 31. can get there. Jesus is speaking. He says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Even a bird doesn't fall to the ground without God's control. His will is involved even in that. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And for me, like some of you, God has to keep recalculating the number because it changes. (laughs) So Jesus says, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. He knows everything about you. He is intimately involved in every detail of your life. And he orchestrates the world for his purposes, a greater purpose The world, in other words, your world is not random. Osama bin Laden, terrorism, what's happened in Iraq, etc., that is not outside his control. He has a greater plan in all that happens. And what happens in your life, he has a greater plan. The world is not random. There are no coincidences because God is sovereign. Though we may not understand what God is doing, and we don't, And though we may not like what God is doing because it doesn't make sense to us, the truth is he's sovereign. He's in control. He's intimately involved in all that happens. And here's the way David responds in Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Verse 5, you hem me in. You set hedges around my life, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. You guide and direct me. Such knowledge is too marvelous for me, too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We don't get it. We don't understand how God's sovereignty is involved in every area of our lives. And we don't understand what he's doing a lot of times. He brings things into our lives that are hard to grasp and that don't make sense to us. But we need to begin by saying, I'm not in control and admit that God is in control. If we really want to find security and hope in a world that feels so uncertain. Third step is to submit to his will. If he's in control, let's submit to his will. Verse 15 again. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. You claim that you're in control, but you're not. So your choice is either to try to control your life or to submit to his will. And say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. It's hard for me to grasp, but I will submit 
to your will. Real hope, real security comes as we're properly aligned with the sovereign one who is in control. Let me give you just an illustration of that. If you're like me, you've had cars that have gone out of alignment where a tire wants to go a different direction than the rest of the car. (laughs) And it pulls the whole car to one side, right? You've got to compensate as you're driving. What happens to that one tire? Well, it gets stressed because it's going against the direction of the rest of the car. And eventually it gets worn out. I think that's a good illustration of what happens to us when we try to go our own way and control our own life the way we want it to go. You see, God's already moving our life in a direction and he's moving our circumstances and all of life in a certain direction. But when we try to go our own way, what ends up happening is we get stressed and we get worn out and we get frustrated because we're not in alignment with the one who is working our circumstances for a greater good. Greater good for us and a greater good for the kingdom of God. So if you want hope and security and you want your life to go a little smoother, what should you do? Get in alignment with him. Seek his will. Submit to his will. Stop trying to run your life your own way and say, Lord, I don't want to fight against you anymore. I want to be aligned with where you're taking me. This is a scary world. It's uncertain. And God does things we don't like. We don't understand. He brings hardships and suffering into our lives. So here's a good question. Okay, if I'm going to be aligned with your will, Lord, how can I trust that your will is good? Because often it feels really bad. It's scary. You bring hardship into my life and... It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. So how can we trust that it is a greater good and it's even for our greater good that he is moving the vehicle of our lives? Always go back to the cross. No matter what circumstances look like, you know God loves you and he's working life for your good because he was willing to give up his life to go to the cross so that you could be in relationship with him, be forgiven and have life with him forever. And if you're really honest, you can see how God has worked in your life to bless you in many, many ways if you have eyes to see it. So there's many, many reasons to trust that he is good and he is guiding the car of your life in the right direction. Yes, you don't understand. I don't understand a lot of the things that God is doing. It doesn't make sense to us, but that's just because we're finite. We're a vapor. We don't get it. We're like little kids that do not understand why we can't have ten cookies right before dinner. It makes so much sense. I would have lots of energy to eat the rest of it. You know, we come up with all kinds of ways why we think our way of running our lives would be better than God's. And he's trying to remind us that, no, I'm sovereign. You can't understand it because you're finite (laughs) and he's infinite. So either we can keep trying to go our own way and fight against him and be frustrated and be stressed and be worn out. Or we can get in line with him and say, I want to seek your will. I want to do what you're calling me to do, no matter what happens in my life. 
we can seek his will and not just say it, but truly seek to find his will and do it. Some of you have heard the illustration of Francis Schaeffer, who is a theologian, great theologian, in the 60s, 70s, influenced a lot of us who grew up during those days. And at the end of his life, he had cancer. And he was interviewed one time and he, and he was asked, Mr. Schaefer, how do you handle the fact that Christians all over the world are praying that you'd be healed and God hasn't chosen to heal you? And his response was this, and it's stuck in my mind ever since I heard it. Francis Schaefer said, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to face. You know, it's not easy, is it? Life is hard sometimes. So it's the hardest thing I've ever had to face. But he is the commander-in-chief. And it's unbecoming of me to demand anything of him. You see, that's what God calls us to do. We don't understand it. It may not make sense to us, but God has a greater plan he's working out that we may not see on this earth, but we will see when we're in his presence. So our choice is to submit to him, say, I'm going to line up my life as best I can with what you say, God, and trust that you'll take care of it. It takes great humility. It takes trust. It takes letting go of control. It takes care of admitting you're a vapor. He's in control. You're not. We submit to his will. But there's great freedom when we do that because we're in line with where he's already taking us. And that's really where we want to be deep down anyway. Then the final step is given in verse 17, where we not only submit to his will, but we just do his will. Notice verse 17. He says this, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now this verse is kind of challenging because I thought, why is this verse here? What's, What's he getting at here? And all of a sudden it just seemed to make sense to me that what he's saying is you really have two choices in life when he really gets down to where the rubber meets the road. You know, you're a tire. (laughs) Where the rubber meets the road is are you going to use your life to try to get security yourself, to control it, or are you going to use your life, your energy, to do good, just to do the next good thing that God brings your way? You can't do both. It's one or the other. Either you seek control and security yourself or you submit to him and you just do the next good thing he's called you to do. Theologians talk about sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are where you commit a sin that you know you do something you know is wrong. Here he's talking about sins of omission where you know a good thing to do and you don't do it because you're too distracted, you're in your own world, whatever. I think what he's getting at here is, and what comes to mind is the Good Samaritan parable that Jesus told. That wonderful parable where a man gets robbed and beaten and he's left for dead. And a priest comes by and he looks over and sees the man. But you know what? He's got a plan. He's got to finish his plan and he walks on by. Then a Levite comes by. Again, these are the two most religious people of the day, priests, Levites, taking care of the temple of God. They're busy. 
He comes by, he sees the man, looks away and walks on by. You have to believe they're controlling their own lives, getting security their own way. And then comes a Samaritan by, he sees the man, he goes over, binds up his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays the innkeeper, says, I'll be back in a few days to pay whatever else is necessary to take care of this person. And that's really what James is getting at here. You see, if we've submitted to God's will, realize he's in control, then we don't have to orchestrate life to take care of us. We're free to give ourselves away, to bless others. And the exciting thing is that God is bringing people into your life every day that he wants to bless through you. But if you're making the choice, I've got to get secure, and you're trying to control life on your own, you will miss the opportunities to be involved in what God has placed right before you, to love that person right before you, to do good to the person who's right before you. You want security, hope, peace in a crazy world? Do his will. (laughs) That's what he says. You know, we all want that. We all want security. We all want hope. But the truth is, we'll never get it by trying to control our worlds ourselves, by planning and organizing and trying to fend off the randomness and uncertainty of the world. The only way to find real security and hope in the world is to learn, first of all, that I can't control it, but he's in control. Therefore, I will submit to his will and I will do what he calls me to do. Because really, I'm just a mist. I'm just a spurt of steam. And I'm not in control. But the truth is, God is. And he loves you. And he simply wants you to get in line with where he's going with your life. So let's stop fighting him. Let's stop trying to find security our way. Let's learn to submit to the one who is in control and loves us and promises to walk with us every step of the way.